Welcome to The Accurate Perspective, a podcast on local politics in Yakima. We take politics to a whole new level. Factual reporting, sources you can trust, and best of all, no BS. Unlike other news organizations, we won't mislead you or manipulate the news to our advantage. It's facts first, and the truth shall set you free. Join our hosts, Matt Brown, Lindsay Wehrmeyer, and Dave Mullen, as we do what we do best. And that's dunk on all our competitors. Welcome to the Accurate Perspective Podcast. I am Matt, and today I'm joined here today with uh, three lovely folks. Uh, Myla, how are you? And Zoe over in South Carolina. And Mark, who is with us in Washington. Uh, so today, this is kind of a special episode. Uh, we're going to be talking about um, the Attorney General's office kind of put out a new report. Uh, that's the Domestic Terrorism Study of 2022. Uh, so, Mark, what is this? Um, so this this is a 31-page 30, um, uh, document that was um, commissioned by the legislature through the Attorney General's office. And it lists uh, uh, four recommendations plus three additional recommendations specifically from the attorney general and then four recommendations specifically from uh, experts um, in extremism. Um, Their recommendations in a nutshell are to create a two-year commission made up of relevant or diverse stakeholders uh, to identify community-based and public health uh, intervention for domestic violent extremists or extremism cases to prevent future acts of domestic terrorism in the state of Washington. Uh, but that's that's what it is in a nutshell. Well, that sounds like a bunch of scary words there. Um, <laughs> uh, I, I mean, when, the, when this report first came across, I was actually on Twitter. I was scrolling through and um, I, I believe Representative Jim Walsh actually posted a snippet of it and my brain was like, uh oh, what what is this? This is this is bad. This is bad stuff here. Um, uh, what's your take so far on it? Well, I have I have a number of concerns because number one is definitions of labels. Um, if you if you go back to the 1600s, the Puritans in Massachusetts labeled Quakers heretics and witches. Then they weaponized the government to take their property, beat them in public, and execute them. Where was the due process for the label? So I call you a name, and I I know we understand we have a First Amendment right to call each other names, that's fine. But what happens when the name becomes a a, a tool to create a weapon with government? And so this report cites the FBI's study on domestic terrorism cases, says the FBI conducted approximately 2,700 domestic terrorism investigations, but According to Congress, FBI whistleblowers, several of them have come forward saying that the FBI has been padding their domestic violent extremism cases. That is extremely disconcerting that this document is using potentially padded DVE, domestic violent extremism cases, that the FBI's senior staff and policymakers are pushing their ground grassroots FBI agents to uh, push these cases. And so they could be using... Uh, uh, um, tainted FBI data. The second is, is their use of certain types of, of, of language in here. They says, this report is careful to uphold our civil liberties while simultaneously 
laying out preventative and public health approach to tackle these urgent challenges. So then they say the challenges are these. Threats, coercion, intimidation, online disinformation, extremist recruitment, government infiltration efforts, general spread of extreme white supremacy, and anti-government ideologies, while using the so-called FBI inflated data, potentially inflated data, then saying they're going to use a preventative and public health approach. Then they recommend in this document that they urge legislature to create a new commission on domestic violent extremism composed of diverse stakeholders. So right there, what is a stakeholder and what does diversity mean to them? Does diversity mean excluding Center for Self-Governance because non-government organization Southern Poverty Law Center has labeled our organization anti-government without due process? Right. Now this commission has two broad goals establishing a comprehensive public health and community-based framework for responding to domestic violent extremism. And so they literally have at the end of this report where they say, we need to develop this community-based hub where families can report people that they feel are being radicalized toward extremism. Again, they don't define extremism. They don't define stakeholder. They're using a broad, ambiguous definition of domestic violent extremism in combination with domestic terrorism. They're using faulty data potentially from the FBI padding their domestic violent extremism cases. So I, I just, I have personally on behalf of Center for Self-Governance and our students across the United States, what do they mean government infiltration? Are they talking about you, Matt Brown, city council member? You've infiltrated government because you're a domestic violent extremist from an extremist organization? Is that what that means? So there's a lot of definitional problems, a lot of data use problems, a lot of creating communities, reporting on each other problems. I could go on for hours, but I'll turn it back to you. Yeah, I mean, we, we kind of saw this a little bit um, during COVID times, right, where they were already reporting businesses for, you know, staying open. It was kind of this like... Um, you know, a witch hunt against uh, anyone who was trying to provide for their families um, in the sake of public health. Maybe that's um, extremist. Maybe maybe right. taking care of your, your kids is extreme. Right. I mean, in, in reality, according to that, I mean, th this podcast might be a little extreme for him. So. <laughs> um, I'm, I'm like Zoe, Zoe Warren over there from South Carolina, he could be extreme. For, for making films about uh, criminal justice reform. And because they have determined that people like me that are, you know, a person of color that would engage in layer cake politics has internalized white supremacy. So. <laughs> are, we seeing, are we seeing a report like this anywhere else around the country? According to this, Matt, um, uh, Washington um, will be the first in the nation to, to, to apply these recommendations in this format. So no, not that I'm aware of. Well, that, that's always how Washington seems to go, right? We, we seem to hey, we were the, the first. We were the first to lock down. With <laughs> right. the, with we always are the leader at the bad stuff that starts up. Um, so what... What, what can we do about this though? What, what are efforts taking place? Like how, how can we, um, how, how do we process this? I think for the, you, the listener at home, 
I mean, this is a lot to take in, right? Of just even being able to um, process, I mean, even for myself, trying to process what the heck does this mean? Um, what, what, are, what are we supposed to do with this? Like, how can we do something? So the legis- it, the interesting timing of this is that it always precedes the legislative cycle. And so everything that's happening in your state legislature, all of the planning is taking place back in the summer of the, the previous year. So it's the summer of 2022. So we, number one, we, we're kind of telling folks now, but we're, we're a couple of weeks ahead before the legislative cycle begins. And so there's an opportunity to reach out to your representatives and have this discussion with them. Like, what is a stakeholder? What is an extremist? Where's the list? Can we see the list? Who doesn't make the list? What is diverse? What is, you know, asking those questions, just asking questions. What the heck does all this mean? That's step number one. Number two, there's a lot of things in here that can be done uh, from the school all the way to the state. It doesn't just involve the state legislature. For example, there are no local domestic terrorism laws in all 35,000 cities or towns in the United States. So why couldn't a city introduce an ordinance to clarify the definition of extremism, of stakeholder, of domestic terrorism, of domestic violent extremism, etc.? cetera? Uh, uh, so there's not a single one in the entire United States. The second is, is that there are no domestic terrorism uh, charging statutes in the United States. There are some states in this uh, document uh, that are listed as having uh, domestic terrorism uh, charging statutes. And what that means is you supposedly commit the crime, you get charged, you go to trial, they find you guilty, and then you get punished at a higher degree of punishment for the exact same crime that someone else did. So like you could murder your family, right? But if you murdered your family and it was domestic terrorism, you go to jail and you get a little harsher punishment than if you killed your family and it wasn't domestic terrorism. And so legislative wise, it's important that we're involved in talking to our representatives about what are the definitions of terrorism, domestic terrorism, extremism at the state level. So having that conversation. Um, number, Number three is we need to pay attention to what legislation they may introduce this legislative session in Washington state about domestic terrorism. What, what are they introducing? Uh, and number four, I would suggest is that we introduce our ideas. Um, we bring our ideas to the table about domestic terrorism. What does it mean? What, what is, what's the difference between someone who committed a crime and someone who's an enemy of the state of Washington and, and make sure that that is very clearly defined. Um, there are many other things that we could do, and there's great examples um, of what other states are doing. For example, in their end notes, they list Idaho. Um, Idaho um, uh, legislators in 2022 proposed a number of changes to their state's terror laws uh, by adding a definition of domestic terrorism and specifically limiting the definition to individuals actually convicted of the crime of terrorism within the state. And that particular language and law was was introduced by uh, folks like Mila Woods from Idaho. So they have ideas that they're implementing in their states uh, that we can be looking to as number five. What are other states doing that put put checks and balances into uh, these um, attempts to create enemies of the state? Yep, Mila, tell us a little bit what you went through in Idaho to get that. Um, it actually we were pretty fortunate. We had a really um, uh, senator that was willing to really listen and 
concepts. Um, and I think a lot of it had to do with what happened with parents and that and Mark's question of what is a stakeholder? Well, we know in education, parents are never leaders in any of the legal documents. So that's concerning. So there will obviously be no parents or education that will be invited to this task force in Washington. Um, so working stakeholder um, definitions and, and laws in cities, counties, and, and states. But um, I think the parent in Virginia was one of their, their the dad's daughter had been raped in the school and, and the school and then the dad went to the school board meeting to redress his grievance and frustration over and it being covered up and, and then he was labeled in the media and and on through all the political weaponization of government and labels um just because at a school board meeting to his daughter being raped in the district covering it up so from my history of political um action has really been in the education realm is where i start it was a pretty personal um event and i could see how it would affect a lot of the people who were objecting to mask mandates and school closures and things of that nature so thing in idaho for us is huge and um, if one parent in Idaho is prevented and having the government weaponized against them um, because of that label, then it is great. So that's kind of where we're going with it in Idaho is really protection of all Idaho um, because parents are being attacked so severely. That's where we're starting. Hmm. Zoe, are you guys doing something over in South Carolina? Well, yeah, we're trying to um, prevent our uh Republican supermajority <laughs> from passing Bush uh like uh Patriot Act expansions of of terror law and uh and all kinds of just different things that they're trying to accomplish here as a uh, a kind of like a uniparty attempt. Um and so I yes we are and, and you know I, I say it that way because you know it's not really a partisan issue. Like there is a problem with the law, and the law uh, was not created by Democrats. The law wasn't created by Republicans only. It was created by an apparatus that wants to protect a system uh, that actually is, it, it, it outlives the elected representation. You know, the, a lot of people call it the deep state. I don't use that term. I think that term is kind of amorphous, doesn't really have any real meaning. Um, but it's an administrative state. It's it's a a state where there are managers that get put in place that can stay there for you know as long as they can protect that infrastructure. And they're using certain tools to be able to protect that infrastructure. And so what we've been trying to do is make relationships with our liberty and more uh, layer cake, uh, just folks that we know that love the separation of powers and really don't want uh, the executive branch making laws and they don't want <laughs> the judicial branch making laws. They like this. They like the powers to be in their place okay and so we can help them understand that some of these um things that are coming down the pipe are, are hazardous to your power hazardous to the the power that we've given you um and so we as making one of those relationships we've come to the conclusion that you know a lot of our uh, republican and liberty-minded uh, people who like the separation of powers they don't they don't really have a lot of training on how to govern and when they do get trained they get trained by some of our opponents 
they get trained by people who want to protect that administrative, uh, bulky kind of uh, bureaucratic nightmare. And so they get trained to do government in a way that prevents them from being able to stop these kinds of infringements. Um, so by, by awakening our legislators, number one, to that, uh, that apparatus, um, we have done a lot of uh, groundwork to be able to have legislators that come to us and ask us for help when they see things that they think are concerning. And so um, we have a bill that was just kind of dropped in the hopper at the beginning of the year uh, that's expanding the terrorism language to even include like special class type of uh, protections. So if you're, you know, not white, everything but white, then if they target you, (laughs) if you're everything but white and um, Democrat, (laughs) like if if they target you for your political persuasion, but as long as you're not black conservative, then you qualify, I guess. Um, But if they target you for your political persuasion, if they target you for your race, color, sex, creed, what you want to do with other people sexually, um, then they can also be classified as terrorism. We defeated a bill like that last session, and now we have a Republican actually inserting that into the hopper with language from a bill that we defeated last session, which was uh, introduced by Democrats. So yeah, we we have people that are now kind of bringing us information uh, that we can respond to uh, and, and help kind of craft strategies, policy ideas. Like we, we gave talking points to a lot of legislators on this line um, to help them understand how to argue um, and how to ma- even fix the current law in South Carolina. Because in South Carolina, we have a law as it relates to terrorism. And so we gave recommendations, how they should respond to the bill in committee, how they should respond to the bill if it gets to the floor, so that we can even tighten up our own language. Because right now, I mean, the whole terror language is all weird. Like, just even national government, federal law is just, there are multiple definitions for terrorism, and they're all kind of just, they get more and more wonky as you go along. And so what appears to be that you intended to do something that may be harmful to human life, all those things are really, really bad. <laughs> and, they're, and they're very subjective and amorphous. There's no real, not really narrow, defined understanding. It, so it leaves it to, you know, Opie, or, uh, no, not Opie, um, what's his name? Um, the uh, uh, Barney. It leaves it to Barney to determine whether or not it's, it's domestic terrorism. Well, it looks like they were trying to do something that might harm human life. I heard them say, don't kill your baby. That's, that's violence. It, that's what I heard in, in the news. It's violence to, to speak against that kind of thing. And so, therefore, now they can classify it as terrorism and not charge you yet, but label you with that in some secret way, unlimited ability to detain you, <laughs> and then also surveil you and your family while they determine whether or not it was terrorism. And then at the end of the day, they might not charge you with terrorism, but you've spent years, maybe, in a det- pretrial detention, <laughs> so we're trying to help our legislators yeah. even fix our own state law. So that kind of thing cannot be possible, whether on a state level or a national government agent coming in and trying to make it happen. So th- this sounds like a, I mean, is there a movement at the federal level, Mark, um, with this new Republican? I mean, we've mentioned that it's OK. So we got South Carolina, Republican state, Washington, so not a Republican state. Um <laughs> but very much on the same lines of the same issue, right? 
domestic terrorists, blah, 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 right? Um, so is there a movement at the federal level to actually look into these things? Um, because this is concerning. Well, so the, the Domestic Terrorism Act, um, uh, the Senate just passed that bill, I think yesterday or the day before. Um, and so there is an effort to mimic or to funnel down this kind of language at the, at the federal level. And so is there a counterbalance to that? I think that based on what Zoe was saying is that the definitions are so amorphous. I mean, who wants to support domestic terrorism? I don't. Our organization is very clear. Uh, we don't support racial, sexual, uh, religious, aristocratic supremacy of any kind, political violence for any reason. We're very clear about that. But for some reason, even though we, we, we make those statements you know, non-government organizations like SPLC would label us anti-government. And so at the federal level, there's a much broader effort uh, to introduce this kind of domestic terrorism, language policy, uh, study, data, et cetera, than there is for the kind of conversation we're having, which is checks and balances and due process, et cetera. So at the federal level, what I'm anticipating is that um, in, in 2023, uh, the very slim majority House is already in a struggle uh, for control over the direction of the House. And that's tied to what Zoe was talking about related to the kind of uniparty thing. That struggle within the Republican Party is taking place. Um, and you can see that. But we're really anticipating that Congressman Jim Jordan will become the chairman of the House Judiciary Committee. If that happens then we, those of us, Zoe, myself, Myla, and others who are trying to figure out why is this language so amorphous? Why is it, it's the extremism, all the language definitions so broad? Why is the activity, the intent so amorphous, intended, looks like, maybe? How do we inject our part of the conversation is like, where are the checks and balances? What is the due process? Show us the definitions. Give us the list. You know, make, make things transparent. We want to make sure that our voice is a part of that. And I think Congressman Jim Jordan is going to bring that to the table. I don't think he's going to be uh, able to drive it as far as we can at this level where we can have these conversations. Uh, that much, it's going to be a lot harder for him. Um, he's not going to have the Senate to back up any sort of policy changes, but he can do investigations, oversight, he can do commissions, he can ask questions, he can gather data. You know what I'm saying? He can bring whistleblowers forward, he can do those things. But ultimately, Matt, um, it's going to be up to us, I, I don't know what else to call ourselves, the, the, the American people, regardless of who you are, it's gonna be up to us to ensure that disproportionate application of these amorphous definitions doesn't apply to anyone, whether it's BIPOC community or whatever community, whatever label of rainbow you want to apply to this, it should not apply to anyone uh, who, who is a human being. It's, it shouldn't be done. So if so, I, I could just yeah. go for it, kind of jump in really quickly about of the one of the big asks or one of the big clarifications that we like is the foreign terrorist organization um, connection through evidence um, 
the charging statute, you in the federal charging statute, you have to be foreign terrorist organization as designated um, by the uh, states. So that that is a clear distinction and a clear path towards being charged with so the problem is that in Idaho, for instance, we had um, it had what was called a threat assessment that came through in their discovery after they were prison as an accused waiting. And on this threat labels of domestic extremists and domestic terrorism or threat assessment. And so no, with no, no checks and balances at our state level, no way to mitigate any of that mislabeling or that, that was coming from this um, assessment. So I think that's one of the balances that we are looking at because we've seen through evidence that the mislabeling and miss and diff from uh, top down into our state does affect our um, people. If, if, if it's okay, Matt, I would like to follow up with that too, is that the foreign terrorist organization requirement to be labeled uh, or to be charged as a terrorist is in the federal statutes. Um, and what, that, what the, the insinuation is, is that you are an enemy of you're my enemy. You're an enemy against me. You're 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 against me. You're an enemy of our nation. You're an enemy of our state, and that's the imp impression that it gives that you're connected to Al Qaeda or you're connected to the Russian Imperial Movement, uh, or you're connected to some foreign terrorist organization that's designated an enemy of the United States. Well, if 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 we're if we have these ambiguous definitions for terrorism, domestic violent extremism, et cetera, they're creating the impression that they're an enemy of the state. They're our enemy and we need government to be a weapon against our enemy. It's like the Puritans and the Quakers. I'd like to go back to that thing is the Puritans created this environment that Quakers were their enemy and they weaponized the government to destroy them. And if they didn't repent or confess, then they, they, they did the worst things to them. They killed them. They imprisoned them. They took their business. They beat them, that kind of stuff. And so it's really important that we have this discussion about if somebody breaks your window or tries to beat you up and somebody over here tries to break your window or beat you up, was that a criminal act or an enemy of the state act? Okay, so I, I wanna, I'm going to point some due to some data that just came out yesterday from the Americans Against Anti-Semitism. And this is put on uh, Twitter by a guy named Dov Heikend. Okay, in New York City, they analyzed what were considered hate crimes based on the hate crime laws of, North, of, of New, York, New York State. 97% of the hate crimes... This would be assaults and then verbal abuse. So verbal abuse and physical assaults. 97% of the hate crimes based on the hate crime definition, okay, were committed by other minorities. But according to this document, 
The vast amount of violent extremism in the United States is being committed by white supremacists. And so again, where does the data come from? What are the definitions? And I think it's super incredibly important that we have a discussion about the difference between crime and terrorism and specifically under terrorism. What it, is that an enemy of the state act? And that's why it deserves less due process because you're, you're trying to overthrow the United States. You're trying to kill Americans because you hate America. You know what I mean? Versus you broke a window. You threatened me. Right. Et cetera. Sorry, go ahead. You know, even if they were trying to destroy America, I'm fairly certain that a lot of the folks that I saw in 2020 running around burning the flag were saying no more USA. And so was that domestic terror or is it only white supremacist groups that are not designated by the Department of State? Where is the due process where we determine what organization, philosophy, group, coalition gets gets qualified? You know, where's the due process that, that, that qualifies them? Well, there is obviously a due process that qualifies foreign terrorist organizations. You can't be considered a foreign terrorist organization unless you're designated by the Department of State. Well, American citizens can be considered terrorists without some real due process, just some random NGO or the media uh, puts out a report and suddenly it becomes law enforcement's Bible. I think that's a little bit uh, problematic. So, And, and in, the, in the conclusion in this report... Well, to- to follow up with what Zoe is saying is the conclusion literally identifies this imbalance that Zoe is referring to here. Uh, let me just read this part to you here. It says, there's little evidence that state-based efforts to combat domestic terrorism with enhanced criminal penalties, dedicated surveillance, or attempts to exclude so-called extremists from law enforcement have been effective in light of the federal government's jurisdiction over all significant cases, listen very carefully, and the propensity for these types of state efforts to be misused against social justice advocates. So I know that's a lot to absorb, but what they're saying here is is that in 2020, these peaceful protests while buildings are burning up in the background, that is not domestic terrorism. Matter of fact, that's people who are frustrated that they have been unfairly targeted by local and state law enforcement as domestic terrorists, which I would argue against that they're labeled to, to domestic terrorists. Okay. But that there needs to be some kind of criminal justice reform in the form of these new ambiguous definitions that weaponizes governments against mass majorities of the United States uh, who, who, who normally are not considered uh, criminals, et cetera, uh, and so on and so forth. So th- this, even in their own document, they're pointing out the imbalance that Zoe is, Zoe is referencing. And there's currently in Washington, there's not any laws that actually define the domestic terrorism. That's correct. There, there's not a specific law that defines terrorism, but they do have a, a law that's um, that allows um, uh, the criminal. It's called the Criminal Justice Training Commission to deny, suspend, or revoke a peace officer certification if that officer is affiliated with an extremist organization. And so they, the legislature gave. Uh, CITC, the broad ability to define extremist organizations. And according to their definition, it's 
anyone who undermines the democratic process through violence, who promotes governmental change through violence, promotes, espouses, or engages in violence to marginalize certain protected classes or advance race, racist ideologies, or four, advocates an ideology holding that local law enforcement supersedes other governmental authorities. And so they, they're very, they basically just wrote something that says the Ninth Amendment to the Constitution does not apply. <laughs> so, so they don't have a law for domestic terrorism. But they have a commission that is authorized by the legislature to define extremist organizations. And so, so, they, so they can leapfrog, Matt, by creating this impression that these are extreme extremists on extremist organizations, filter them out, so-called, out of law enforcement. That's what they talk a lot about in this document is about preventing private security officers and future recruits for law enforcement in the state of Washington if they are tied to an extremist organization, according to this definition or according to the legislature's definition. I mean, very ambiguous, um, like, not, not healthy at all. I mean, it kind of sounds like the, uh, I mean, that last segment there, <laughs> uh, if you believe that your sheriff has any sort of uh, constitutional authority to, uh, I mean, if you do think that, then you uh, extreme. You're extreme. But the NGO SPLC would say that's true. They would they would have they would confirm that. They would confirm that, and on their website, as a non-government organization, kind of like the Criminal Justice Training Commission, which is it's it's a non-government organization authorized by the legislature to to make these definitions and then actually have the authority to deny. What does it say? It says deny, suspend, revoke. See, what, what you said, Matt, is very, it's, it's so succinct, though. And uh, it's just that you made the case in this, that progressive social justice action, like violent acts in the name of social justice is progressivism. But assertive actions to protect your neighbor or your own liberty is domestic terrorism. Domestic <laughs> Far -right violent extremism. extremism constitutional uh, sheriffs is extremism uh patriot patriotic whatever you if you call yourself american according to stanford i think that means you might qualify to be a domestic terrorist if you exercise <laughs> if you exercise and work out you're that's a new form of white supremacy <laughs> yeah. that's why i just eat hamburgers so man i sit on my butt that, to fight is, white, that supremacy. Is white supremacy matt that is that is your White supremacist. No, see, you're not anti. See, you're supposed to throw the burger out, okay? Because you're, you're like killing, you're, you're like eating a, an animal. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. Well, so, I mean, it, it really, it, this thing, the one thing I think that terrorizes me about this is the fact that it's, if you don't think this way, period. If you think exactly how we want you to think right and that goes both sides of the aisles democrat you might be a puritan right democrat and republican right if you don't think exactly how the government wants you to think you are an extremist not even doing something just thinking just it's in your brain misinformation anti-government you, you might be a quaker if right <laughs> Well, that, but yeah, you know that it, it, this this is a but this is an infrastructure a system 
that they're trying to grow into our vineyard. And that yes. system will use uh, public health as a vehicle. And I'm sure that they're going to utilize public health systems that are embedded and entangled with uh, national government or governments, governmental, whatever. And so it, it's the same thing they're doing with the red flag law and all these different things in order to create a almost a social credit system. And so I, I don't like to use that kind of term either because, you know, it gets kind of flouted in conspiracy theories and stuff like that. However, we do see a conspiracy that's taking place. Multiple groups that have power are actually colluding together to produce an infrastructure whereby they can have, you know, like I got the domestic, I got called, okay, on by the FBI. They came to my house and they challenged me on my participation at a protest on January 6th. I was there shooting. I was there reporting for the standard SC. Of course, I'm a Trump supporter too, you know, and I was just wanting to, to, to archive the day's events. Well, you know, I put my stuff online and a year later when I'm running for office, um, I get a visit from the FBI questioning my, uh, you know, what did I do on January 6th and how far I got. They didn't want to see the two or three hours of footage I have on my hard drive still where they could find some bad guys who might have gone and beat somebody up. They just wanted to find out how far into the Capitol I got. And, I, you know, at first I was like, well, I didn't, guys. I got to the reflecting pool. It was an amazing day to me. And he said, well, it was a divisive day. I was like, well, you know, that day was produced by division. And, and it just, it was the, you know, it was the demonstration of what it looks like when a, when, a, when a country's already divided. And so as they were leaving, I was like, do you have a card? And they hand me a card and it says Joint Terrorism Task Force. And that, I was, that made me livid. Because I was, pro I was there with people protesting their own government. I'm not with the Ru Russian imperialist movement or Al-Qaeda. I'm not even within a black nationalist movement that thinks the white man is the devil. And I'm not even with them. And that, to me, they do some terrorist stuff, okay? And you just handed me a card that says Joint Terrorism Task Force. And so I, I got a taste of it myself. Like, this is what a terrible use of resources. These young men... I mean, preeminent example of professionalism, coming to my door, doing their job. And as soon as they, they find out who I am, you can see them like, what are we doing here? We are wasting the, the greatest minds and resources in our country on without, stupid minutiae. Without a question. Without a and, doubt. And, and they're yes. out there trying to chase down Mr. Magoo and, and, and Amelia Bedelia. For, for having a problem with the Democrats, what they could perceive as finessing an election. And so, anyway, it, it really made well, me Well, that, that kind of goes, I mean, Mark, we've talked about this on uh, previous shows, is the um, Regional Crime Center, right? Uh, and, you know, one of the things was recently in Yakima County, we, we, I mean, we've gone around the horn about this a lot of times with the Regional Crime Center, but um, one of the things that, terrified me about it was this very aspect right if there was no sort of um rip cord uh so to speak to be able to pull this thing if it if it went outside of its bounds right mm -hmm. of what it was commissioned to do which mm -hmm. was to actually stop cartel and drugs and actually gangs and different things going on in our community right though that's yeah. what it was designed to do um but if it went outside of that bounds, how do we stop that? And, right. you know, I got nine months worth of pushback on that. Um, 
But finally I got it to the place where the sheriff actually has the ability to pull the ripcord. This thing gets out of line, the sheriff can pull it. And, man, and, and, according, it. and according to the Criminal Justice Training Commission, doing that is an extremist organization. <laughs> right. And they <laughs> and they baked it into the bylaws of the organization. So it's it's in there. So now um, they're, they're an extremist organization. <laughs> if you believe in the Ninth Amendment that you, you have rights, okay, and that you should be protected, <laughs> oh like the, it's a, to restrain the national government with the Ninth Amendment, then you're a domestic terrorist, according to them. You know, and right. it's, it, gets, it gets mad. It goes even further than the regional uh, crime center. What about your regional health district? During COVID, there's a massive push using the pandemic as the excuse to empower if not create, but if they already exist, to empower them further with jurisdictional controls beyond what they already had prior to the pandemic. So this is this is um, this is related to recommendation number two in this document, establishing a system through which the Department of Health could work with community groups to support multidisciplinary intervention teams through which families and others may refer someone they suspect may be on the path of radicalization to violence. So it's not just the regional crime centers, this, this regional health districts through the Department of Health uh, implementing these community, there's a name for it and I just can't remember, um, it, it's called the Community Hub. Uh, here, uh, yes, here it is, Civic Education and Community Support Hubs, right? Uh, creating, uh, as part of recommendation number three or part of recommendation number two. So. So your regional health district um, becomes the, the mechanism between the Department of Health and these civic education and community support hubs, right, that are going to uh, uh, identify public health uh, and community intervention techniques to, 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 to deal with these so-called uh, Quakers. Red flag. Right? Red yeah, flag so, laws. Mod well, in Idaho. We actually had um, we had snipers placed on the roof in Boise District Health Board meeting, trained down on a bunch of moms and chilled chocolate, and were drinking hot chocolate with some legislators in the parking lot because they were hoping and asking that the that the central district had implement mask mandates and stuff. That's crazy. They, I mean, literally these, um, and so you, you saw the, the protest of 2020 and the burning hundreds of thousands of businesses, uh, up to 40 plus people were killed, et cetera. And the media portrays it as peaceful protests, right? Um, you compare that to January 6th, people are doing the same, uh, storming the Capitol, breaking windows, punching people, people died, you know, that kind of stuff. Both are terrible. But the disproportionate, again, what's in this study is the disproportionate application of law enforcement to these communities. And now this disproportionate application to other communities, um, uh, we need to have this conversation to bring balance to the equation, checks and balances to the definitions, to the lists, to what does it mean, to uh, et cetera. And I want to make one last point regarding January 6th. The definition of domestic terrorism, they use the federal law, Title 18, 23315, says appears to intend to coerce uh, civilian population, government policy, or government, or to affect the conduct of government. Well, let's compare January 6th and the Dobbs decision in the Supreme Court regarding abortion. 
January 6th, people are still in jail. They're getting long sentences, et cetera. And I'm not saying if they committed a crime, you do the time. You know what I mean? You go to before your jury and let them decide. Well, according to the definition of terrorism, coercing a civilian population, intimidating government policy or affecting the conduct of government, people showing up at Supreme Court justices' homes is not they're violating both Virginia and federal law regarding doing that. But there's not a single arrest in relationship to those three acts of so-called terrorism activities. Compare, compare and contrast, right? I would say that those committees would be like, oh, it's about time that they're in jail longer. Well, wait a second, guys. Uh, we're, we're, flip the script. What happens if the Republican Party gets full of all those far-right extremists and then they weaponize the government against you too? Well, they, they, that, that, that's what they did. That, that, their, their point is equity, not equality under the law. And so we're seeing a political vehicle uh, the, the government being made into a political vehicle for the advancement of an ideology. And th Correct. this is completely contrary to what our founders had envisioned. Uh, it's, it's, it's contrary to justice and it's contrary to our constitution. And so, I mean, obviously we can get ready for Sunday service together all day. But I, I think that like what we really need to be able to do is have some discussions about like how do we solve the puzzle? Like some things we talked about with some of our congressional delegation and some legislators is like we, we need to be able to rein in our law enforcement uh, to a certain degree. If, if there's no rush, if they don't know, if you got to go to a secret court <laughs> to get them designated a domestic terrorist, then they don't know you're coming. So let's, let's slow down a little bit. If you're going to call somebody an enemy of the state, in your state, if, if the federal government is going to come into my state and say that that guy's an enemy of the state, then they're going to have to provide some evidence. They're going to have to provide threat assessments. I'll let Milo talk to that stuff and and, and a, a clear connection, you know, to a foreign terrorist organization. And then it's going to have to go to the Supreme Court because you're now you're, you're telling law enforcement that they can violate the the rights of somebody who has not yet committed a crime without them knowing it. So if that's yes. the case, then we need to, we need, if you're going to strip them of that, you need to have some due process, not just you know, some whimsical idea of what may intend and look like. You need to go to the Supreme Court of the South Carolina and, 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 and get the Supreme Court to sign off on you now transferring somebody from a criminal that needs to be investigated through the tools we already have to an enemy of the state who we need to have enhanced uh, enforcement uh, measures. And that, and that that could be applied to anybody. I don't care if they are actually from another country, okay? And maybe they do have a connection to a for I think they should really have rights too. I don't even think we need to strip them of their rights. There still needs to be some due process if you're going to categorize them as X, Y, and Z in a secret court. That secret court could be our Supreme Court. Yeah, I think the point Mark's trying to make is what Daniel Horner was the shoe on the other foot doctrine, right? I think that what we're talking about here having equal application of law and clear definitions for all in and of itself. Absolutely. Yeah, I mean, it goes both ways, right? I mean, we're, we're, and we're seeing it in, in different states. I mean, you're seeing it over in South Carolina, red state. You're seeing it in Washington, blue state. You're, I mean, you're seeing it all over the country and depends on... <laughs> Uh, I, I always say this as a kind of a local thing. He who holds the, the crown gets to um, go and do 
you know, weaponize the government, right? And and that's uh, that's just not how this system was designed to be set up um, exactly. at all. And uh, so going back to what you were originally talking about, Mark, with local, right? So local cities, counties, school boards. Um, you you were talking about there's there's currently no ordinance, no policy, nothing like that, that kind of helps define that. Um, are you talking about passing ordinances that actually, what are you specifically looking for in those things? Um, so your, your local law enforcement, you have a city police department, you have a sheriff's department, etc. cetera. Um, and the states give broad authority for them to protect uh, uh, uphold the peace, et cetera, within their communities. And so the cities and the counties could give guidance to their, their law enforcement entities that they, that they have commissioned to protect their communities on uh, distinctions between criminal and enemy of the state. Um, on Now, when you say that this is an enemy of the, of the city of Yakima or the, or the county of Yakima, et cetera, um, what's the guidance on how your law enforcement should interact if this person is now labeled an enemy and clearly defined enemy, right? What do you do in that case, right? You're attached to what they call fusion centers in this document where they're fused with federal and state law enforcement entities. What is your interaction with um, those state and federal uh, law enforcement entities, in regards to that definition that clearly defined this is a criminal versus an enemy of the city of Yakima or the enemy of the county of Yakima, or this is a person committing a crime, and how do we interact depending on how we label this human being or group of human beings? And so having an ordinance or, or some kind of clearly defined policies or, uh, you know what I mean, what's an extremist? Uh, how do you define extreme in your city, how is how it, what is a stakeholder, and and who gets to choose uh, who's not and who is a stakeholder? Who gets to choose who is and who isn't an extremist? How, how do you define the difference between criminal and an enemy? And then giving guidelines to your law enforcement within your city and your county law enforcement entities. This is how we expect you to interact when they are labeled really really bad, trying to destroy America person. And this is what you're, this is what we expect you to do. And when that happens, and if they're not, this is, you, you, you treat it like that so, criminal, they broke a window, they made a threat, right. Or they, they did X, Y, and Z. You see, does that make sense? Yeah. yeah. You don't need it. You don't need enhanced tools to handle the criminal. Right. Um, I, I right. think it's really great too, on a County level, if those types of uh, ordinances are passed, because, you know, you find even AOC, she can't get the Green New Deal passed, right? But she has this manifesto of sorts, and she gives it out to the whole rest of the country. And they start implementing little bits and pieces of it where they can everywhere in the country. So the sooner we get ordinances like this passed on any level, it gives a pattern for uh, jurisdictions all over the, the country. Because they're, they're asking the same questions. This is so ambiguous. When you started this show, you're like, that's a lot of big words, kind of scary, and it's hard to digest. I get that. Um, but now we are creating patterns for folks to be able to look at and say, like South Carolina and Idaho state laws and their attempts there, uh, Matt, um, uh, cities around the United States and counties could start to implement ideas on how they can clarify and put checks and balances uh, into this kind of uh, ideological, ideologically motivated attempts to create a Puritan Quaker society. 
Hmm. Well, and it's, I'm trying to think of like the devil's advocate of um, my counterparts on like a council or my counterparts in the county of, you know, well, we're not, we'll we'll deal with that when it comes. Is there kind of mentality of due process, uh, (laughs) due process, due process is your argument. Due process because uh, they could be BLM. They could be um, somebody protesting uh, pipelines, you know, going through their sacred lands. It could be parents. It could be parents concerned about their children's upbringing. Yeah, it could be. And you have have all of those. Yeah, listed on the uh, Department of Homeland Security's extremist list. It could be any of that. That list is very broad. It encompasses. All colors. Every, it, it encompasses everybody. Um, so, if God forbid, if anybody uses the extremism lexicon as their basis for definition, because it's all encompassing. And I think you're, you're all that, 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 that encompasses your strongest argument is that this, depending on who is controlling the weapon. In this case, the government, the system, because it's not the government doing it. It's the people who use the government. So if the Puritans are control of the system, they can weaponize it against the Quakers. If flip, flip the thing, then the Quakers control, then they control the weapon. And okay. And so the biggest, the greatest argument we have here that that should be a no brainer is that this affects everyone. Yeah, it does. I mean, it's returning sanity back to the system. Yeah. And, and, and you know, I, I got to make this case about Center for Self-Governance. Not only are we, do we reject all forms of racial, sexual, religious, and aristocratic supremacy, we, we, we reject any form of political violence for, for political purposes at, for any reason at all. And what, that's, what that says about our organization is that we are pro-responsible government for all Americans, we are not anti-government Southern Poverty Law Center. We are pro-responsible government for all Americans. And I think until Southern Poverty Law Center uh, is willing to sit down at the table and have that legitimate conversation or the media or even or even the, the people that they, the, the experts they use here. One of the experts they use um, is a professor. Um, hold on, I'm just gonna find her real quick. Cynthia Idris. She, she is a part of the Southern Poverty Law Center's Advisory Council on Extremism. And this person is, and, and, and SPLC is not considered an unbiased organization. I mean, they're responsible for the attempted mass shooting uh, uh, of the Family Research Council in, in 2012, even though they're not the ones who showed up to do it. The person who did went to their website to identify anti-LGBTQ organizations, so-called as SPLC labeled them, Family Research Council, showed up to shoot and kill and wipe Chick-fil-A in people's faces. I'm like, listen, I understand you've got a grievance and you don't want anti, you don't want LGBTQ community to be disproportionately affected. I get it. (laughs) However, SPLC, you created a mass shooter. So let's talk about balance. And I think that's the key argument in, in any city or county is, is that this applies to all. When we want pro-responsible government for all Americans, whether you're Puritan or Quaker. Man, that's good. It's good. Well, anything else you guys have to say on that? I mean, we're 
we're running up to the hour here, so I'm going to try to get us to the to the end. But uh, I just want to say thanks for joining us on this. You know, we're we're we could probably go on for hours and hours and hours and hours. <laughs> you got you got to turn this spigot off. It will literally go for hours and hours. And Milo's over there, like <laughs> I I literally I'm so excited to talk, talk about this finally on um, on the bigger scale and conversations. It's just so uh, refreshing and empowering. And um, I think the more it empowers other people um, and all the resources, we need to make sure that the resource links and where to go so people can, can, can find more out. Yeah, we'll, we'll include those uh, a, a copy to this report and stuff like that in the uh, show notes of the show. So folks listening, you're like, where can I find this report? Where, where do I go to find all these things? Um, but we'll include that in the show notes. So, well, thank you guys for joining me today. Um, you know, our other two co-hosts are on a Christmas vacation. I don't get one of those. You're supposed to be on vacation, so. by the way. <laughs> <laughs> and Matt, but, is, it, uh, is it okay if we uh, uh, make a plug for our website and our upcoming premiere about this very topic? Yes, absolutely. Do it. Um, so if you go to our website, centerforselfgovernance.com backslash P-W-O-L, that stands for Political Weaponization of Labels. There's a whole list, laundry list of resources and videos um, and documents and calls to action, solutions with actions uh, that your, your listeners can look at to, to start working on in their community. Um, the other is, is that we have created a documentary. Zoe is our uh, producer. He created episode one called The Final Verdict, The Oregon Trials. It's related to this disproportionate application of criminal justice related to these matters of domestic terrorism. We're hosting that on January 6th. And Zoe, do you want to give that plug and where to go and all that stuff real quick? Oh, sure, sure. Yeah. Uh, the Epic Times is actually going to be streaming the event. So if, if all else fails, you can look up The Final Verdict in the Epic Times, and you'll probably be able to find it pretty easily. But however, um, we also have a stream going to One Cowboy Stand for Freedom, which is the website of Jeanette Finnicum, whose husband was shot in the back and killed by Oregon State Police at the, you know, the behest of the FBI. And so we're, we're telling the story of what happened when they were imprisoned and during the courts. It was kind of a bag of snakes to, get, to straighten out because a lot of the... Uh, you know, the news outlets and stuff have let the links be destroyed or the videos go away because it didn't serve the narrative to push this particular agenda we've been talking about of ramping up and padding the DVEs and stuff like that. So because they were all essentially the first tier, the, the guys that they were really going after with their teeth gritting, they got acquitted. And they some of them even were their own lawyers. They went pro se. And so this is a really intriguing, interesting story. Uh, the final verdict, you, one cowboy stand for freedom. One Cowboy Stand for Freedom is what we're going to stream it to. There, there's also the ability for you to get in on the Q&A, but if you want to do that, you're going to need to go to the Center for Self-Governance, send a message uh, to our staff there, and then we'll get a link over to you if you want to be a part of the Q&A and help us solve the puzzle of criminal justice reform in this century and in this time. So, yeah. Anything else? Man, I, uh, yeah. I'm excited to watch it. Um, you know, I'm... Uh, We've been sending it out to a couple folks locally to try to organize like a viewing party type of thing. So, um, yeah, I'm excited. Well, guys, I'm going to wrap up. We're almost at the hour here. So, um, 
thank you again for joining me. And uh, our next show, guys, will be actually talking right before our uh, state committee for Republican Party uh, and kind of giving you guys a synopsis of what to expect for the weekend. But, um, yeah, so. I, I, I don't know that we told you the date and time. Oh. <laughs> I was That'd just thinking, good. yeah, that will be important, I think. <laughs> We're going to stream it. We're going to air it on January 6th. The premiere is on January 6th um, at 5 p.m. Pacific. Uh, January 6th, 5 p.m. Pacific. We'll have, again, an introduction to the director and writers, uh, and then we'll play the video, and then we'll do a quick Q&A. And, uh, yeah, so that's it. Thank you. <laughs> Awesome. If if they're listening to this episode after January 6th, uh, where can they find, uh, how can they view it after that? After that, if you go to One Cowboy Stand for Freedom, we will have directions for you to be able to, to stream it, purchase it, and I'll let Mark go on if he has more to add to that. Nope. Zoe's got it. Awesome. Awesome. Because I know there's a bunch of people that are excited about that here. So. Um, cool. Well, guys, we will be back again uh, in a couple weeks. Uh, have a great uh, New Year. This is New Year's Eve. Um, so have a great New Year. And uh, we'll see you uh, later in January. Mm-hmm.